0: Well, uh, bonjour mes amis, Uh, est-ce que vous êtes prêts à étudier la Bible aujourd'hui? We are so glad that you are with us today, and it's not too late. You can still share online. Uh, Right now, if you're on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever platform, and uh, let people know because they can still join us right now. And we are live. A lot of people, we mention it, and I still find that people don't realize, they think that we pre-record this. No, it is right now 10.58 a.m. on Sunday Atlantic Standard Time, so if I mess up, there is no editing. It's all right there for everybody. And uh, so we're really glad that you're joining us, and we hope that you'll invite others and share that as well. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be able to meet together in person here in the building for the first time. We're still working over these next two weeks on a lot of. Uh, test runs and experiments with different models and we have so much to do to get ready to keep everybody safe when they come into this place. We don't want to put anybody at risk and even then we don't want anybody to feel pressured to come because we'll still do these services online like always, live streamed. Uh, but stay tuned over the next two weeks as we develop some registration processes because the province is going to require that uh, we have the names and contact number for everybody here. Uh, in case there, you know, in case something happens or there's an outbreak of COVID-19. And so uh, we're working on that. We want to do our absolute best to get ready for you on July 5th. Well, today we continue what we started last week with a hard conversation. And last week we talked about uh, racism and protest and how to stand up. For the oppressed. And we also talked about how there should probably be something different. In fact, there 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 really should be something different about our approach as Christians from people out in the world. Even though there are similarities, there should also be some differences. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus spoke to the religious leaders and he said, Woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so Jesus says that it's not just enough to tithe, that, that giving 10% as, as an act of worship to God and for his mission is, is good and important and necessary, but it is also just as, if not even more important, to concern ourselves with justice and mercy for those who are suffering. That we have to do both. Jesus says, because worship and justice go hand in hand. And so we talked last week about this balance that that needs to be in our lives for those of us who are Christians, who who wear the name of Jesus. And the first thing we talked about is how if we're not paying attention to the hurts of this world, that's a problem. We live in a hurting world today. And I, I confessed and apologized last week That that churches have not always done the best job at that. But also, we said that if our response to those hurts is the exact same approach as the world's, that's also a problem. That there should be something different about us as Christians. There should be something different about our posture. Even when we disagree with someone, there, there should be something different about our, our answers, our, our solutions. Because even though we agree with the world on many of the problems, th- that when it comes to solutions, some of our solutions will even look the same as the world's, but not all of them because ultimately we know that, that the deepest root issue that, that causes all of the angst and the, and the racism and the division and the confusion and fear in our world at its core comes from the sinfulness of our human hearts. And so we, we wrestled with that balance, how we cannot forsake one for the other, But as Christians, we we need to bring these together. That was a hard message last week. It was agonizing. And and we need to not just acknowledge that and move on as if there are no problems. But I also said that if you would come back this week, that we would share with you something that's a little bit more encouraging, uh, more uplifting. Today, we are going to talk about how Christ wants to heal that the divide, and bring us together. And so we're in Acts chapter 10 today. We're going to look at some really big chunks of Scripture. But as we look at Acts chapter 10, one of the things that it's important to realize is that that up up until the 10th chapter of Acts, it seems that many Christians in the very first days of the church after Jesus returned to heaven, we were not confident that the gospel of Jesus was for everyone. You see, the first 12 disciples who followed after Jesus were all Jewish. And for a, a Jew in that day, there were really only two groups of people in their mind that you were either Jew. Or you were Gentile, everybody else, and if you were not a Jew, then you were considered to be unclean as a Gentile. And so Jesus returns to heaven, and there are some Gentile converts who who start to follow Jesus and, and become part of the church, but, but but not a whole lot, because up until Acts chapter 10, they were still saying that if you are, are going to become a follower of Jesus, that, that you have to start, if you're a Gentile, you have to start being like a Jew, in that you have to become circumcised like a Jew. And if uh, you know what circumcision is, this was not a popular idea for Gentile adult males. Uh, that you have to start talking like us, that you, you have to start eating the same food, eating kosher. Like us. In other words, in order to be a Christian, they were saying that you had to do more than just surrender your life to Jesus if you were a Gentile, but that you also had to then become a Jewish Israelite. And what we're about to see here in just a minute is how some of those very first Christian leaders were perhaps. Even carrying some some racial and cultural prejudice against people who were not like them. And that's why Acts chapter 10 is so incredibly significant. And we're going to look at that right now. Let's begin in verse 1. Acts 10 verse 1 says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now, I want you to notice three things here in this verse. That that first of all, it is significant that Cornelius was a Roman military officer. Why? Because these were the oppressors. There's a lot of talk today about how certain people have privilege... That, that perhaps others might not have. And that was true with Cornelius, that, that he had a life of privilege, which is one of the reasons that most Jews hated Roman soldiers. And Cornelius lived in an amazing city called Caesarea Maritima, or Caesarea by the Sea, which was a beautiful port city. It's one of my favorite places in all of Israel. It was built by Herod the Great. It's right on the Mediterranean. It is absolutely beautiful. But it was also possibly the most pagan Roman Gentile city in that region. And what that means for us is that this was not a place that a good Jewish Christian in the first century, right after Jesus goes back to heaven is going to want to go, at least until we get to Acts chapter 10 when everything changes. Verse two, it says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Cornelius, he he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, Whose house is by the sea? Now, when this angel speaks to Cornelius, I think there are maybe two things that that Cornelius first thinks. Number one, he thinks, "Wow, this is an angel talking to me. This is really weird." But but I think the second thing that that Cornelius notices is that Simon is a very Jewish name. Simon, who is called Peter. And I wonder if he thought perhaps this angel has made a mistake. Because he probably thought there is there no way that a Jew named Simon would want to come into the house of a Roman military officer like me. Now why is that? Well because for a Jew like Simon to come into the home of a Gentile was unthinkable. It was considered a defilement. Uh, that, it, that it made them unclean. In fact, if a Gentile were to come into the house of a Jew, then, then anything that Gentile touched in the house was unclean. If, if the, the, the Gentile uh, ate from a bowl or drank from a cup, it could not be cleaned ever, never, ever again. It had to be destroyed because it had been defiled. That is what Jews thought of Roman Gentiles. Verse seven, and when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, meanwhile, let's see what's going on with Peter. Acts chapter 10, verse nine, about noon, the following day, as they were approaching on their journey or on, and approaching the city, Peter, this is Simon Peter, went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now remember, Simon Peter is a good uh, Jewish follower of Jesus and as a Jew, he, he knows The Levitical law from Leviticus chapter 11, to only eat kosher food. In other words, they could not eat anything that chewed the cud or uh, or had a cloven hoof. And so that means that things like pork chops and bacon and lobster were forbidden. That's sad. (laughs) And, And so in verse 14, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. But the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, can I just stop right here and give a little praise break and say, thank the Lord that today we can now eat lobster. (laughs) I don't think Atlantic Canadians would survive the summer without a lobster roll, Uh, but God says, that the restrictions have been lifted. And so verse 16, this happened three times. So Peter's not getting it. God gives him this vision three times to really drive the message home. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, so he's trying to figure out what all this means. It, It says, The men sent by Cornelius, found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about this vision, the Spirit of God said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, For I, the Lord, have sent them. Verse 21, and so Peter went downstairs and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, well, we we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited them into the house to be his guests. Don't miss that. Remember what we said about Gentiles coming into the the home of a Jewish person. That that in this very line that Peter invites them into the house to be his guests, that shows us that something significant is taking place. There's a shift that's happening as Peter begins to understand the meaning of this vision. Verse 23 continues, And then Peter invited them into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers, fellow Christians from Joppa, went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And so Peter arrives in this Roman pagan city and he finds the house filled. The house of this Roman centurion, this Roman military officer, is filled with people waiting to hear him. And verse 25. It says, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, Stand up. I am only a man myself. And talking with him, Peter went inside and found this large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law. It is against our law. For a Jew to associate with the Gentile, or even visit with him, and so look so what Peter is saying here is, look guys, even just yesterday, there is no way that I would come into this house and hang out with you people, but he continues, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean so when i was sent for i came without raising any objection may i ask why you sent for me and so finally peter gets up in front of this this group of people these gentiles and he begins to preach. And, and literally as he is speaking in these next few verses, you can see that God is starting to rearrange his thinking. That all of a sudden, he's beginning to see that his picture of the church was too small. That God had big plans for what the church is about, like the prophetic vision of Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Lord, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. But up until Acts chapter 10, Peter and these early church leaders at first did not understand this. And so, notice what Peter does next. In the next few verses, Peter begins to apologize. He admits that he had been carrying prejudice against Gentiles. Now, I want to point out something here, and I, I know that this is dangerous, that that there could be some level of misunderstanding for why I'm pointing this out, but I'll explain why after I I, I point it out. I want you to notice something really strange here, that that Peter is apologizing to Cornelius. And, And Cornelius is part of the privileged class who are oppressing the Jews, and yet Peter is the one apologizing to him. What's my point for for, for drawing that out of the passage? Because it's there, that's what it's saying, is, is when, when Jesus comes to the forefront, no matter what our division, no matter what our conflict, and no matter what the justice issues that exist, as we begin to work on those together... When, when Jesus is the foundation for us, walls start coming down all over the place. That, isn't that good news? And so here's, here's what Peter says in verse 34. And Peter began to speak. And he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And folks, don't miss this. This verse is so important. It's so significant because this is right at the very beginning of the formation of the church where Jesus starts tearing down the walls of division when we fear him and do what is is right and so peter from this point on begins to share the message of jesus the miracles the the teaching of jesus and the people are moved by the holy spirit speaking into their lives as as these gentiles hear this message from peter and he speaks of how we need to confess our sins and 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 turn to Jesus and skip down to verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, in other words, that means the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ. And so from this point forward in the church. There is no such thing as Jew or Gentile in Christ. There is no such thing as a black church or a white church or, or, or French church or English church or, or Latino church or Korean church. Because when Jesus is our foundation, we may speak different languages. We may sing different styles of music. We, we may have different skin colors or traditions. But when Jesus is our foundation, we are one in Christ. And so here's, here's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Oh, this is so powerful when you understand what we just learned about the church right up until Acts chapter 10 and, and the significant shift that takes place where Acts chapter 10 begins to change everything. And here's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Ephesians 2 was literally written to Gentiles like Cornelius. Cornelius. Ephesians 2 verse 11 says, Therefore, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were far away have been brought near. By the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. He he has destroyed this dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. But his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. One out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. In other words, Even the Gentiles did not have it all, or the Jews did not have it all figured out. That whether Jew or Gentile or whatever our background, what that's saying is every single one of us need Jesus and what he has done to bring us together to make that peace between us and most importantly, between us and God. That we all come together as equals At the foot of the cross. For through him, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. All the stuff that we've looked at today in Scripture should start bring to bring back images of what we talked about back in, in, uh, in May and into the beginning of June where we did the series on the book of Revelation. So much of what we're talking about is, is, is part of the beautiful picture of what God is doing in his people as fu- fulfilled in the book of Revelation. And you'll remember how we talked about, especially in the question and answer session that we did back, I believe it was on uh, May 24th, I think it was, where we did a Q&A live here, and it's still on Facebook Live if you want to look that up, uh, where we did a, a Revelation Q&A uh, back in May. And one of the things that, that really stands out in that when you begin to understand first century Christian history is that not long after these words were written in Ephesians or right around that time perhaps even, The temple in Jerusalem, the place for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, was destroyed by the Romans, by Titus, in in 70 A.D. By the way, I didn't plan on talking about any of this stuff, but it's live, so nobody can edit it out, so hang on for the ride. In 70 A.D., Titus came into the city of Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple. The temple... Whereas we saw in Revelation, the, the dimensions of the Holy of Holies, the place of the presence of God, is the exact dimensions of the new Jerusalem, the holy city as described in, in, in Revelation at the end of the book. But what's beautiful is that even though the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the temple is really not destroyed <laughs> because we are the temple. We are now the the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And so look back at that again. We're still in this passage. Rises to become a holy temple. That's what God is doing in us. We have become the holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. And so our our salvation is not just individual, it is corporate. We need each other, and we need every tribe, every language, every nation, every color, every background in the body of Christ. This is what we were called to. Amen? Amen? Can you write it in the comments right now? If you're online, you can write in the comments, say, amen. Last week, you remember, last week, you remember, I shared the story of a woman who I knew in Alabama in those years that we lived there who who was raised with segregationist thinking, that, that she believed that there should be a division between different races in the church and, and different ethnicities because that's how she was raised. And what we may never have, have thought about until we get to Acts chapter 10 is that it was the same for Simon Peter in many ways and for some of those early Christians in the first days of the formation of the church that Peter was not raised to trust Gentiles. That woman we talked about last week was not raised to trust African Americans some people are, are are not raised to trust white folks but listen that is not god's design for the church because god says to peter right here in the very first early formative days of the church he says peter i have called you to tear down those barriers the dividing walls must come down as we come together as one in Christ Jesus. And so I want to invite you to pray with me today wherever you are on that spiritual journey. If you have not yet submitted to Christ, I I just want to ask you right now in your spirit to to be listening to His voice speaking to you as we begin to pray together. And First of all, Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see any, any racism or judgment in our hearts against people who are not like us. Lord, give us eyes to see with discernment any systemic racism that may be involved in, in the church. In our communities, in our nation, in the world. Lord, we thank you that you are helping us to become a multi ethnic church. How beautiful that is to reflect the diversity of heaven, to, to, to literally be able to bring together people of different backgrounds and cultures, just as described in Scripture. But Lord, we still got a long way to go. We have a long way to go. And we ask that you would help us to, to continue to raise up leaders from every nation. And Lord, right now, for those who don't know Jesus, that you would be speaking into their hearts. And right now, if that's you, If you realize today that, that God is speaking to you and you've never surrendered to him, you've never made that decision the Bible says it's really simple, we need to confess our sin, believe that Jesus died on the cross for our forgiveness and receive him invite his spirit to come into our lives as we try to live a life surrendered and according to his word And so, right now, if you're ready to do that, would you just in your heart say, Father, I confess that I've been trying to live for myself. I've been pursuing the things of this world, but I need Jesus. And right now, in your heart, confess your sin to Him and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your forgiveness right now tell him I believe that Jesus died for me to take the punishment for sin that I deserve and now commit to follow him invite his spirit to come in and fill you up and change you and transform you from the inside out because his love changes everything invite him to do that. And so right now I I pray for all of my new brothers and sisters in Christ whether they be here in the Moncton area in New Brunswick the Maritimes or anywhere around the world right now, Lord, that the seed that you have planted in their heart, the decision that they have been that they have made, may it be confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we seek to help them take next steps and to grow in your word, Lord, we pray that, that you would not let them slip away. Lord, draw them into Christian community, whether it's in our in-person church here at Moncton Wesleyan or our online systems here at Moncton Wesleyan or maybe a church in their local community. Lord, we pray that you would be preparing for them the spiritual family that is going to help them walk out this journey. In Christ Jesus we pray and everybody say amen, amen, amen.